Wistful Thinking is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more podcasts about movies and nostalgia, visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome to Wistful Thinking, a podcast where we revisit beloved pieces of pop culture from our youth to see if it's still as good all grown up. I'm Cara Gail O'Regan, and with me as always is my co-host, Jordan Poland-Clark. Hello. And with us today is our guest, my good friend, Rob Guzio. Hello. Um, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks for having uh, me. Rob picked the 1991 Steven Spielberg film Hook, which stars Robin Williams and explores the question posed by the film's tagline, what if Peter Pan grew up? Oh, you uh, gave away the tagline really early. <laughs> <laughs> well, what? It's the whole premise of the movie. What else I am know. I going to do? Sometimes that's a game you make us play later, though. Oh, yeah. Well, not this time. Anyway, the film follows uh, his character, Peter Banning, as he reconnects with his past as Peter Pan in order to save his children from Captain Hook, played by Dustin Hoffman. Rob, why did you choose this movie? Um, I was thinking about that. I don't know if I have a great answer other than it was... It immediately came into my mind when you mentioned you know me being a a possible guest um it was the very first thing i thought of and it just felt really right um but you know it it was an important movie in my childhood um and i feel like it was sort of probably something that stunted my growth in some ways because it started a (laughs) literal peter pan syndrome in me for many years um but uh in general, I guess I wanted to also talk about it because I feel like it gets a bad rap nowadays, and I don't understand why, and I was hoping maybe we could get to the bottom of it together. Oh, we can get to the bottom of it, all right, because <laughs> uh, I get why it gets a bad rap. But, uh, Jordan, had you seen this movie before? No, never. I, never. I remember being, like, six or seven, and, like, knowing that everybody else was watching this movie, and I never saw it. Is there a reason for that? I don't know. I just think it it was like, I want to say it was like because I was at the age where like if my parents didn't want to watch it with me or if like one of my best friends didn't like show it to me at their house, I wouldn't see it because I had no control over what I did or didn't see. Hmm. But we've talked about this before on the podcast too where there's like a bunch of stuff that we've watched that were like, why did I see that when I was six? <laughs> so, like, I don't know. I just never saw it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I definitely saw it, but I think I, like, was maybe at a sleepover or something where I, like, wandered away during the first ten minutes and then came back during the fight scene because that was the only part that I actually remembered. Like the um, last fight scene? Yeah, the one at the end. So oh. this was mostly new to me, I guess. Wow. Um, yeah. But it's interesting that this was one of the first things that came to mind when I was explaining the premise of the show, because that has been the case for a lot of the guys that I've talked to about this show. Like, one of the first things that they say is, Hook, at least the men that are of our generation. Um, And I feel like this is a very boy movie, and, like, wasn't so much, like, something that, like, was very girly. Um, so, yeah. 
I see. I never I thought of it that way. True, and I even felt that now, like, mm-hmm. like even just watching it, like I couldn't deal with the color scheme. Is that because I'm trained as a girl? Like, do boys <laughs> not mind that color scheme and all that like busyness? Whoa. Um. Uh, what, what? Well, I'm trying to think of like what I would define the color scheme as. I feel like it's very brown. Like, golden and like and like beige. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot of browns, um, which is really funny that you say that because my boyfriend is like very into brown and is about to buy a brown car with brown interior. Um, (laughs) It was a lot of browns and then blacks and reds, I think, is probably the dominant color scheme. So pretty masculine. Um, Also, there are like very few women in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. In in general. they're all in the beginning and then they just abandon them all even the little girl they make the whole subplot or not i guess it's not really a subplot but like peter's kids are not in it all that much and Mm -hmm. but even the plot that the kids get has just the boy becoming a mini captain hook and the girl doing squat right yeah she kind of gets sidelined a little bit um and it it definitely becomes a father a more of a father-son story and like he's you're like what about your daughter too like why is the son like so much more important to you than well because it's a steven spielberg movie and he's always trying to work out the issues that he had with his own father (laughs) that is very true this is totally on brand for him um yeah but also i I, you know this is a steven spielberg movie it's not good like the other ones (laughs) well you know how dare you they haven't all been great you know (laughs) There's there were some misses along the way. More recently, I, I feel like there's been a lot of people critically uh, saying that he's kind of lost his edge a little bit and that he's not churning out the hits like he used to. But I remember even before that, like when he was still on like his hot streak, people would say that this was his flop, like his one flop. Um, yeah, and he doesn't even like it. Which oh, is, really? He's, like, kind of embarrassed by it, yeah. Why, though? <laughs> I'm never... I'm, I'm legitimately asking. I mean, I I have never heard any specifics about, like, why certain people don't like it or why it, it's, like, considered not worthy of the, the canon. I'm gonna read you. So, I wanted to also... F- I knew that I didn't like it, but I couldn't pinpoint why. So, I googled <laughs> Roger Ebert's review of it, because I knew uh. that I would agree with him, and I knew that he would have better words for it than me. <laughs> um, so, there's one paragraph of it that I wanted to read, because I think he really... He really nailed it. But, of course, I didn't have it pulled up, so now I have to find it. <laughs> <laughs> there were aspects of it that I did really like, like the pirate set was really great. Yeah. Um, I think that the that had like kind of Spielberg level production quality. Um, but that was kind of like limited to just that one aspect. I didn't really like anything else about it. The, the sets were very. <laughs> I found, uh, it felt like a theme park ride. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I even said that while we were watching it, that like I could see this being like a section of Disney World or something. Oh, that's what this more looks like to me than than a movie. Like, this looks like when you go to Universal Studios and they're like, go on the Jurassic Park ride. Like, that's what yeah. this looks like. 
Yeah, yeah, and it was all like built on a sound stage, and it was pretty small, I think, because they wound up using like a fisheye lens a lot to make it seem bigger than it was, oh. which made me really nauseous. But um, <laughs> yeah. It, okay, I, I think... found the paragraph I really like. Oh yeah, go for it. Um, he says. After the children disappear and Peter finds Hook's kidnapped note and is told by Granny Wendy who he really is and why he must follow, I was poised for a breathtaking first view of Neverland, but what I got was a dreary disappointment. The long, long, long Neverland sequences take place in a cluttered, rag-and-bone shop of art direction. There are too many characters, too many props, too many signs, too many costumes, bad traffic direction, and no sense of place or space. The whole thing looks like what it is, a movie set right down to the unconvincing backdrops and for some reason there's a shift to red and brown in the color spectrum so Neverland, which in my imagination at least is on a lush green island, looks as if it's in the midst of a drought. Wow. That really nailed it for me. Yeah, that's literally what you said. That's crazy. But like I can get how if you saw this when you were like really small, like none of that would matter. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I guess... It, it has that, that kind of thing where when you're little, everything seems huge. And, like, you know, <laughs> child actors that are pretty bad also don't seem as bad. <laughs> and, you know. Oh, I whole... thought the kids in this were great, actually. Especially uh, the kid that played Robin Williams' son. He was, like, incredible. But anyway, he, be- he became the kid in Can't Hardly Wait who goes, yes. I can't feel my legs. I can't <laughs> feel my legs. Didn't yep. he? Uh, yeah, I think so. But now he's a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So he literally became what Peter, Peter Banning. Banning was in the, in the movie. So maybe yeah. he's going to have some kind of a renaissance where he like goes back to being an actor. And it's like, a- oh, I hope so. I found him just like captivating. And I was like really disappointed that he didn't continue acting. Well, you should check out his part and can't hardly wait for his his true moment of glory i really liked the um the lost boy who had a really thick new york accent and looked like he was like maybe 50 years old <laughs> oh yeah 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 the, i liked he, him a lot he's definitely in other movies of the era that kid it's it's not the kid from dick tracy right i don't know i don't know who the kid from dick tracy is i think that's probably another boy movie it is, yeah. <laughs> what other boy movies are there? Tell us about them. We didn't watch them. <laughs> um, oh, geez. Around this time? Hmm. Well, I don't know. I can't think of any, like, super... I wasn't into, um, like, like, I had a cousin who was, like, into, like, action movies and horror movies before those were really appropriate to watch <laughs> like he used to make me watch nightmare on elm street and it used to literally terrify me to my that's, core that's too scary it was way too scary for me at the time and i used to like freak out when my parents were like we're going to michael's house because i'd be like no he's gonna make <laughs> me watch the scary movies <laughs> but you know on then there was hook where i was you know, pretending to fly around the house and I would like try to like, I think I might have 
tried to put on like my mom's like pantyhose to like <laughs> replicate the stockings. <laughs> um So so you identified more with Peter Pan necessarily than like with the Lost Boys. Yes, absolutely. Um I think I was thinking about this like where it came from cuz I don't remember ever really being into the Disney animated Peter Pan, which is mm-hmm. I, th- I think how a lot of children born after you know 1950 would know about Peter Pan um I don't really think I liked that so much it was actually the Kathy Rigby uh, live Peter Pan musical that I used to watch when I was a kid my mom used to rent it for me and I think I used to like wear the tape out I would just rent it over and over again have you guys ever seen this yes we were just watching scenes of it Oh, that's what you were watching? It has to be the same one, right? Hold on. I'm going to see if there's more than one. Yeah, that's what I was watching. I was just watching clips of it before we started recording because I also watched it, like, on repeat constantly. It was so good. And I remembered while watching Hook uh, that I actually played Peter Pan once. What? And had, like, almost no... Like, I had completely erased it from my brain prior to watching this movie. It was, like, during a, a summer camp thing, and I had one song as Peter Pan, and um, I skipped a verse and then got to the verse after that and then realized that I didn't have words and then I panicked. <laughs> and it was in that moment that I realized that, like, maybe I'm more of a behind-the-scenes kind of person than a get up on stage and do things kind of person. So How you old were, were you when that happened? Uh, maybe like 10 or 11. <laughs> I don't know. So you were like the kid in the beginning of Hook where they have to feed it, feed her the lines. Yeah, basically. On, while the play is happening. Yeah. What? So amateur. <laughs> Those kids I are just, really good, though. I also... I had... I. Was I was in Peter Pan when I was probably like nine at camp, but I was just in the chorus. Um, but I did when I was like six or seven, sing a song from Cinderella as the fairy godmother dressed in a Tinkerbell costume, which I also mm. screwed up. And I like <laughs> I did a similar thing, although not as bad. Like yours sounds really very embarrassing it was did you just Although stand every- there when you had no more words left no i i walked around um like kind of with, with my arms out pretending to look confident um <laughs> and hummed along nice, nice alpha move <laughs> oh i tell me there's a and video then, of that oh god i hope not um and then picked it back up in the chorus um and then afterwards everyone was like no i barely noticed and i was like yeah okay all right that is a load of shit but okay thanks for uh trying to make me feel better i did basically the opposite thing which is that i sang the bippity boppity boo song and at the end of it you have to repeat bippity boppity bippity boppity like eight times or something and I could never remember how many times it was so I knew I was gonna get it wrong and I did it like one or two too many times the music stopped and I was still singing but the the woman who ran our plays like I was remembering uh, like when they had the play at the beginning of this movie and the the woman running it was feeding them the lines they were still really 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 good the woman who ran our plays had a microphone on a stick 
that she held up to the stage <laughs> as she fed us our lines. So it was, like, not slick at all. <laughs> well, you got to work with what you got. All right, so, Rob. Yeah. What parts of this still felt good to you while you watched it? Um, well... I, I'll be honest with you, uh, I was just watching clips on YouTube <laughs> because I've seen the movie pretty recently and I remember it. It's, it's like in my DNA. Like I can't, like I know every beat, like every like literal like musical cue in it. Yeah. Um, so going from my most recent viewing, the stuff that still felt really good to me, um, I mean, I love immediately. I think of like the scenes where he f- like actually becomes Peter Pan at the end, and he's. It's really in like the last like twenty minutes of the movie that he finally like flies. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes and a long time. I, it takes a really long time to get there. Yeah, and I remember sort of being as a kid like bored by the 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 Peter Banning parts of the movie, but at the same time like. I guess the Lost Boys portion and Rufio and all that, it, it does kind of, it, it it carries it a little bit, but I do look back now and I'm like, wow, he doesn't become Peter Pan until really the very, very end. Um, but the, that scene where he does and he's flying and he's in the outfit is, it still like makes me really happy. Um, the, uh, what else? Um the food fight scene is incredible. Um, I feel like that is a as a reference point that a lot of people who who saw the movie as kids make in that it, that scene it where is. it's like you know the food is kind of revealed whether it's imaginary and then and then all of a sudden it's real and it's really just like looks like I don't know like frosting just just it's bowls of frosting. <laughs> I was going to say colored diarrhea, but sure. Yeah, works too. But like for some reason when you're a kid and and like all you eat is candy like I did, that was like I was like whatever that is, I want it cuz it's probably really good. <laughs> it's probably the kind of stuff that I would never be allowed to eat, but it it looks amazing. Um and also I thought spoilers, Rufio's death was really affecting to me. Yeah. Um, I thought, again, much like the kid who plays Jack, Rufio, as an actor, I really wish he did more stuff. It's a he's shame. He's He's fantastic. Yeah, I also really liked Rufio. I, I too. I feel like just by saying this, I might, like, will it into being, like, the Hollywood producers are listening at this moment, but... I feel oh, like if oh, they were oh, ever oh, to make no, a they sequel. Definitely are. I Googled him yesterday and I read an article. I don't know how true it is or not. I'll Google it again. That said that he is working with someone to do a Rufio spin off project. <laughs> but now hmm. that I know that Rufio's dead, I don't I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but that calls into question, like how Maybe like the dead. Lost Boys supposedly don't age, right? If they're in Neverland, like nobody ages. Yeah, I have is questions that... about this. I the think rules as long are as very they stay easy. in Neverland, nobody ages. But, but if they like go into normal land, but they do. But there's a se- okay, Peter 
like 75% of the way into the movie, Peter like gets his memory back and remembers his mother, even though he was like six months old in the memory, there's no way he could remember his mother, (laughs) but he, he rolls away from her. Yeah. He he says says that he wanted to get away. He wanted to get away because he was scared to die. But also he was a six-month-old baby in a stroller. But fine, whatever. Um, (laughs) So he rolls down a hill and out of his stroller, and he's laying on the ground, and Tinkerbell comes and takes him away. Right? That's what happened? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But so he's a baby when she takes him away. So he had to age. Uh, Interesting point. Yeah. That made me angry. I didn't like that. Also... Did you notice that... You might that be applying a little too much logic <laughs> to know. this. No, but. I think that's that's warranted. We have to figure this out, you guys. <laughs> um, uh, did you notice that when he returns to Wendy throughout, you know, sort of, they do like a time jump each time he comes back to her. One of the times, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, Or is that, right? no, or am I thinking of when it's <laughs> no, Wendy's? No, it is her. Yeah, it was her second film appearance. It, she's definitely oh, wow. in it, but it might also... I might be misremembering that it's actually... It's Moi, when he sees Moira, and he goes and Wendy's, you know, Ma- Maggie Smith, and um, she's like, it's my granddaughter, and it's Gwyneth Paltrow sleeping on um, Beatles sheets. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I don't mess around with Hook. Yeah, I hate that whole granddaughter. We did not like thing. that part. Well, it made me uncomfortable. We, I That's messaged fair. Kara, like, right, right. He was like, I must kiss her. One, she's like eight. Two, she's like asleep. Three, her grandma's right there being like, yeah, do it, Peter. Like, well, all of she, it was so she, weird. She pro- It's so weird because she, he says, I'll give her a kiss. And she's like, no, no, no thimbles. No needles. That was it's weird like, too. It's like it, that's the one that's worse for you. I I didn't yeah. like. She had none of. She she ugh. The, oh, I wrote oh, down all this kiss giving business noises. is weird. She, she like she even so the girl's asleep. Peter's like I'm gonna kiss her, and Wendy was like no thimbles because it'll break her heart when she learns she can't keep you. Like let her make her own decisions. Get out of here. Maybe she won't even like him at all. Like, what are you talking about? But, I mean, to be honest, though, Peter Pan is the ultimate fuckboy. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. Truly he is. Yes. I also... uh, Peter Pan syndrome. It's aptly named. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Um, I found seeing Robin Williams as, like, angry business dad was, like, really upsetting to me. I did, too. I didn't like it at all. He was so horrible. Yeah, I was like, oh, no wonder I probably wandered out of the room when this happened. It's like it very like, upsetting. I, as an adult, like between between that, like he was so nasty to his kids, and and between that and like all of the pirates being like straight up adults who were like, we murdered children. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like that's not that weird when it's like a cartoon, or yeah. even like in the in the live action version that I grew up watching it. It didn't feel scary like that. Like, Captain Hook wasn't actually scary in that. He didn't look scary, and it was so over the top that it wasn't upsetting to me as a kid, but, like, this was upsetting. (laughs) Oh, I just, I couldn't, I found David Crosby very distracting 
in the pirate scenes. Oh my god, he just, like, stuck I forgot. Out sore thumb to me, but apparently Jimmy Buffett was also one of the pirates. And Glenn Close, as was uh, Glenn Close. Glenn Close was the boo box. Didn't even, yeah, didn't even realize that was her. That was like pretty stellar makeup for such a weird, yeah. like, random, unnecessary cameo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but going back to what you're saying about, like, it being dark and sort of, like, scary, I think that's really why I liked it as a kid, because I was into, I felt, I feel like that was a Spielberg thing, or, like, the uh, sort of an Anne Boleyn thing, where it was fantastical and, and silly, but also there was, like, a real danger to it and a darkness, like, I'm mm. thinking about, like, Gremlins or, like, mm-hmm. The Goonies, um, and I think maybe he pushed it a little too far for like the the material. Like people were expecting super lighthearted, and and they got this like family drama. And <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. That stuff didn't bother me when I was a kid. I just I liked I liked Captain Hook. I thought like you know it, it felt real enough to me and for some reason I just overlooked the boring like grown up parts of it (laughs) can we talk about Maggie Smith sure she looks older in this than she does now yeah she's in old makeup this this was like 30 years ago I know she's been playing a crone for 30 years (laughs) but this has totally warped my like perception of her because I thought she was like 95 years old in 1991 <laughs> and so I'm just looking at her I'm like you're immortal you can never die <laughs> I mean she might be you became no, a vampire at age 95 when they shot this. what you're kidding I mean she was great in this but why didn't they cast like just an actual old lady <laughs> an older woman yeah I don't know she's good in it I don't care but like if they're gonna do that why wouldn't they Ugh, whatever. I don't even... Just choose one actress and age her with makeup and have one... Per- I don't even care. Whatever. <laughs> there was a lot of makeup choices in this movie. <laughs> From the Glenn there Close were. thing to... Also, like, uh, Robin Williams, like, I feel like they just stuffed a pillow under his shirt and they're like, you're middle-aged. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... He... He, he was kind of, um... He was, like, a little bit chubby at the beginning. Yeah. And then when he was Peter Pan, he looked super skinny. Well, he he has an extended workout montage. Yeah, that three-day workout montage. Oh, I must have blocked that out. <laughs> yeah, because Tinkerbell, like, negotiates with Captain Hook and is like, let me, give me three days. Yeah, I remember that. You know? And then it's like, workout montage. And then he emerges in full Peter Pan costume and eyeliner. And mm. in, in, in basically, another it, choice. From one second to the next, he completely transforms um, in, into guys, old Peter Pan. Um, do you guys think that Fruit Ninja came from this movie? Yes. Yes, I do. Because he was like clearly the original Fruit Ninja. <laughs> Does he chop a lot of fruit in this? No, but like there's the one scene, like right at the end of the food fight where um rufio throws a coconut at him and he like gets his sword someone tosses him his sword and so instead of getting like hit in the head with the coconut he slices it right in half like it's exactly fruit ninja 
it's a really oh, slow moving coconut too because in the time it's thrown there's enough time for one of the lost boys to be like peter look out here's your sword <laughs> still coming I- coconuts <laughs> Coconut's still coming. I had a lot of problem with like a lot of like fake physics things in this mm-hmm. movie where I was like, that's not how that person would fall from that. Like that's not what flying would look like. Like I had a hard time with some of the stunts. Which sounds ridiculous, but Jordan's actually an acrobat, so she knows these things. Are you really? Yeah. I mean I also just like in general am really appreciative of good stunts mm-hmm. and that's this was not that. Mm. There's a lot of very obvious wire work happening. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it looked sloppy. There was a good IMDb trivia about the stunt people, and I didn't copy it down, so I'm going to look at it real quick because it's going to I will you say laugh. while you're looking it up that a lot of it reminded me of Home Alone. Um, like, it, that's what it looked like was when huh. Macaulay Culkin is like beating up those two bad guys. <laughs> it was like the same kind of stunts except in Home Alone it's kind of supposed to be like cartoony and maybe yeah. this was too but that's not how it felt like it was supposed to be yeah well the, the, that final battle when they're, they're fighting the pirates and they're in those like crazy homemade armor outfits there's, 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 <laughs> I there's love a lot those of, outfits like, those are, they're those really are cool so outfits. good um, but there's a lot of like Ewok style fighting where they're basically mm. like, throwing twigs and rocks at them, and and it's like killing the pirates. <laughs> and meanwhile, the pirates <laughs> have like guns and swords. Yeah. Uh, so both Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams stunt doubles were na- both of them were named Keith. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so that was so worth the wait. Oh right, but wait, it gets better. Uh, when Steven Spielberg called for Keith to come to set, both Keiths showed up. So eventually, Hoffman's stunt double changed his name from Keith to Kifo. Kifo? <laughs> mm-hmm. What? Oh. Why not, like, Heath or... Just a different name? <laughs> Carl, yeah, something totally different. Kifo. Like a name that doesn't rhyme with the name you're trying not to sound like? <laughs> Kitho. <laughs> Maybe they shot this in Australia. That sounds like an Australia thing. Oh, that does sound like an Australian oh, thing. Kitho. They actually shot it entirely on a soundstage in Culver City, California. Oh, good. They didn't have to travel far. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we haven't yet talked about Tinkerbell. Oh, let's... no. Or Dustin Hoffman, really. But but yeah, we well, gotta talk. Well, we'll get to we'll get to him. Um, uh, I had some some qualms about Tinkerbell played by Julia Roberts who looks amazing with short hair yeah, I but, didn't know yeah she was miscast in this I didn't like yeah her. she was very poorly utilized um, apparently Carrie Fisher was Steven Spielberg's original prototype for Tinkerbell oh she would have sure been great they couldn't get oh. her. Yeah. she actually did an uncredited rewriting of the final draft of the screenplay Whoa. but yeah um, Why? <laughs> who knows? Oh my god, but, that's uh, mind blowing. I want to know like what parts are Carrie Fisher. I know, right? Well, uh, Spielberg actually nicknamed Julia Roberts Tinker Hell because she was apparently difficult to work with because uh, he had her like sequestered the whole time, uh, performing in solitude against a green screen. Yeah, you can really tell. 
Yeah, and apparently he was, like, a real dick to her the whole time, which really sucks. Man, I did not... Wow, that's crazy. I, I usually think of him as being, like, so kindly. Yeah, apparently not on the set of this. He also had a hard time with the uh, the Lost Boys, who were apparently quite re- rebellious. And he said of that time... Or he said of working with Julia Roberts in that movie that um, it was an unfortunate time for us to work together, which I think translates to I was going through some shit and yeah. I took it out on other people. <laughs> yeah, don't that, you also, yeah. like, you can't put a bunch of, like, small boys together and then be like, oh, they misbehaved. Of course yeah. they did. Was this before or after Jurassic Park? This was, this before. was before Jurassic Park. Two years th- before? It's it's like, mm-hmm. it might have been right before, right? Like, it was maybe the movie Jurassic he did Park prior. was 93. Yeah. And this was 91. So, I think it was the either the movie bef- he made before Jurassic Park or two before. Because that alligator at the end is a real, like, just popped out to me as, like, a real prototype for a Jurassic Park dinosaur. Yeah, true. I wonder if he was doing because Jurassic Park took like four years to for pre-production because they were doing like yeah. basically inventing the technology and they <laughs> almost filmed a lot of the movie with like puppets and then scrapped a lot of it. And I wonder yeah. if he was like working on early Jurassic Park stuff and was just not just his heart was not in this. Yeah, I mean that definitely could be the case because um, uh, Industrial Light and Magic did the effects for Jurassic Park and also did this movie, so it wouldn't be... They're, like, shockingly different. I mean, I know, like, it's a couple of years apart, but, like, any special effects that happen in this are so bad. Yeah. There's not much going on special effects-wise. That... But even just, like, the, the green screen stuff. Actually, the Tinkerbell stuff wasn't bad. I don't remember there was something else that I was just like, oh, gross. It looked terrible. I don't know. Tinkerbell was a little too flashy and made my yeah. brain have a migraine. What What do you guys feel about, like, just, I mean, her character? Like, what, like, what, what does Tinkerbell mean to you guys? <laughs> um... I- I don't know, Jordan, you go first. I think it's annoying to have the only woman who's in this movie, because, like, they threw away all the other women who were in it. They left them at home, or they, like, kind of just discarded the little girl. But Tink actually stays in the movie, for the most part. And I think it's annoying to have the only woman in the movie be the one who's, like, momming everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. there's nothing wrong with her except for she's the only one and that's what she's doing. Yeah, her entire role is to take care of And that boys. doesn't track with the Tinkerbell of like, you know, every other Peter Pan adaptation yeah. where she's she's the opposite of the mothering one. Like Wendy is the mothering one and she's the one who's kind of like out of control and rebellious and more like mm-hmm. a lost boy. Yeah, I did and not appreciate only- that. I don't like I don't like that she loves Peter Pan either. 
Oh, that to me was so inappropriate. The yeah. fact that like once she turns into like a normal sized person, her hair grows out. Did you, you <laughs> notice didn't that? Even notice that. <laughs> yeah, she has like long hair all of a sudden, and I'm like, what? The best part about this movie was Julia Roberts with short hair, and now you're gonna have her have like long hair. I didn't. I, like didn't, that. I didn't like that. She. She, <sighs> she seems kind of like dumb like <laughs> like emotionally dumb not like I mean I guess she's a fairy or whatever like we, maybe her emotional capabilities are different than that of humans I don't know anything about fairies but like like and it and it kind of works when she's a small fairy you're like okay fine this is your character but then I found it to be really weird and off-putting when she was big yeah, I I agree that she was that Julia Roberts was miscast because I, I feel like that probably has a lot to do with why she feels emotionally dumb. We're, we're so used to seeing Julia Roberts play the characters that are like super smart and witty and like cunning and like driven, and in this movie she's basically like the jilted like ex lover, but not really, <laughs> and and all she all her motivation is like just like helping Peter and but then really she doesn't really give a crap about his kids or anything yeah she doesn't (laughs) it's just a very (laughs) weird weird role um during the the food scene though when they're eating and she's sitting there and she's like watching this all happen but not participating in it I was like oh Jordan's not gonna like this (laughs) which part say it again the scene when they're all sitting around the table and they've like uh, manifested their imaginary food oh. into real food and they're all like enjoying it and she's just sitting there alone, like oh. observing and not actually participating. I she just, just throw a couple of Julia Roberts laughs in there. Yeah. I didn't like when she did the Julia Roberts laugh. I just assumed <laughs> it was because she's a fairy and she doesn't eat. <laughs> Well, Whoa. so we had that conversation too, and then she does eat something, so yeah. that is not the case. Oh. Yeah, I mean, they keep her, like, very, very separate from mm-hmm. them, which is, you know, exactly my problem with it. Yeah. Yeah, that was what I meant when I said, oh, Jordan's not going to like this. Um, did you know that because she was so often in the air, Julia Roberts had an assistant whose sole responsibility was to clean her feet? Oh, my God. That's real. When, um, like, if you're, like, performing, like, I mean, I guess not in dance as much, but, like, in circus, you go barefoot a lot. So the best thing to do is you keep, like, a pumice stone because then you can scrape, like, the whole layer of skin off so your feet look clean. Because nobody, like, if you bring dirty feet on a stage, that's all anyone's going to look at. Yeah. If you have dirty feet or if you almost have a wedgie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like no one will see anything else that you do. I wonder if she had an assistant to pick her wedgie. <laughs> anyway, so that's real. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I that I that's fair. That Tinkerbell um analysis is is definitely fair. Now now watching it now it's very obvious that there were some limitations in how they made that character real like nowadays they would just make her a cgi character and they'd probably Mm -hmm. be able to do so much more with her but like 
having her like basically on a separate stage. She's not interacting with the actors. And anytime you see her in the world of the movie, she's just a flashlight beam. Basically (laughs) there's like very little effect done to like make, make it feel real. What was Tinkerbell like in the other two? I mean, I know there was more than two other Peter Pans, but I've only ever seen two, the cartoon and the live action, like musical one. So in the musical, there wasn't really a Tinkerbell. She was just like a light, right? Yeah, like an actual mm-hmm. flashlight. Yeah, so that's, we can't even really judge her as a character. She was literally just a light, so okay, fine. What was she like in the animated one? Because I don't remember. She's definitely yes. one of the most hateable characters in all of fiction. Oh my gosh, why? <laughs> She's terrible. She ba- She tries to murder Wendy on on multiple occasions and she lies about it and and she basically gaslights everyone in neverland (laughs) i feel like that like i i don't remember her at all from it but just hearing you describe it like that and then like looking at pictures of her and she looks like so cute and innocent that makes me like her more (laughs) well she's psychotic and also she she uh i remember watching like a Disney documentary about animation and they based her on Marilyn Monroe mm, um, yeah, I can her, see that. her character model and like if she had a motto it would be if you can't handle me at my worst you don't deserve me at my best <laughs> that's her whole MO throughout the <laughs> Peter Pan saga she's insufferable um, and I almost would have appreciated it more if they went for that here but instead it it just felt like they couldn't pull out of the Julie Roberts like gravitational pull of her being, you know, America's sweetheart at the time. Well, she was. I mean, she wasn't quite the Julia Roberts that we know and love now. She had been in Pretty Woman, and like one other movie, maybe also Steel Magnolias and Mystic Pizza. So okay, that's like a few movies, but. Um, she was. She I was like read... about to about to really. Like, yeah. become mega famous. Yeah. Um, I read this profile of her from Vanity Fair from, like, 1999, um, in which she, she talks about her experience on the film very briefly and basically said, I felt, like, betrayed by Spielberg. But um, oh. in 1999 was, like, really, I think, the height of her crazy fame. Um, and I, I don't generally make a habit of like comparing myself to other people and what they've accomplished in their life, but <laughs> seeing as I am about to turn 31 and she was 31 in that profile, uh, she was making $20 million a movie at the age of 31. And I was like, yikes. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yikes. If only I could make $20 million. There's still time. Maybe you'll make twenty so, million dollars a podcast. Yeah, twenty million dollars a podcast. <laughs> mm, dream big. Yeah, we're getting a couple mil for this one, right? Joey and Mike. Um. So we haven't yet talked about the title character, who huh? I was. Yeah, I was surprised he wasn't in the movie for more. <laughs> I'm definitely. glad he wasn't though. Wait, can I ask a question about him before we start talking about him? Because I don't sure. want to forget. Because I asked it out loud when it happened. At the end, 
his wig gets pulled off and I feel like that was you know to make all the little kids go like hee 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 because he was like has all gray hair underneath but he's just an old does, man with no mommy or whatever the line is <laughs> does, does that mean that his eyebrows and his mustache are also fake <laughs> ah, interesting question that's my number one question about him I think I mean, that they are heavily um, affected. I think I think they're dyed, and <laughs> and you, we see him putting that ear, his own earwax. Ear oh my god, it was so gross! I, I want to see that. that movie of like Captain Hook's self care regimen. <laughs> There's a surprising amount of it in the movie. There's like Smee is like really tending to him and like really. Uh... <laughs> oh, he's Smee, kind that's of a, a whole... diva. Yeah, so I read an interesting thing about Hook and Smee. In an interview with Playboy in 2004, Dustin Hoffman recalled his aha moment with Bob Hoskins, who played Smee, about their characters actually being gay, which I found interesting and did not at all pick up on. I could buy that. Why not? Um, apparently, they decided to play their characters as a as quote a couple of old queens because they felt <laughs> yeah poor choice of words but uh, they felt J M Barry the uh, progenitor of Peter Pan had created them that way. Bob and I quote Bob and I were rehearsing and suddenly we looked up at each other and realized it at the same time. We said these guys are gay and it was fun. Suddenly, we rehearsed it that way. Get over here, Smee. Give me a foot massage. He does. We went to Spielberg, and he said, this is a kid's movie. And suddenly, it made all the sense in the world. Uh, They were really good friends. They lived on a ship. They were devoted to each other. End quote. It's true, though. There are no women in in Neverland, right? (laughs) There there are, like, prostitutes. (laughs) <laughs> and there's Glenn like, Close. That's a different movie. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of a different movie, apparently David Bowie turned down the role of Captain Hook. Oh, and I would have loved to see that. Yeah. I yeah. I, as much as I love Dustin Hoffman in the role, that would have been truly something. I mean, I feel like we we could look at Labyrinth as like a sort of somewhat close. He's like a yeah. Captain Hook type character been. in that, right? Yeah. Um, I always liked the scenes with him and Smee. I thought that their banter, I still think it's like, it holds up. It's really funny. Like when he's like flirt, threatening to kill himself <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to do it. Don't try to stop me. Don't try to stop me. Try to stop me, please. What are you doing? Try to stop me. <laughs> he's literally like such a diva and so dramatic. And Smee is like, <laughs> His, it's like it's another like ambiguously gay relationship, like uh, Smithers and Mr. Burns. Oh yeah, I didn't make that connection, but you're right. I wish that like they then would have taken his like love for drama like even more over the top. Then, like, yeah, I don't know. That would have made it more fun. Or maybe Mm. I just need to go back and watch it with that lens on. Yeah, I feel like it definitely would change things for me. It's I think it's in there. Like he he puts on the whole show of the baseball game and it's clearly (laughs) like But but I guess ugh 
Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Like, he he puts on a whole production of a baseball game. <laughs> and he kills a guy for, for, not, <laughs> for not playing along in the right way. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I just, like, I didn't read it that way when I was watching it. I was just like, why is this happening? Because uh, then I was, yeah, it's because it was making me have, like, more logistical questions. Because he, like, spends all this time trying to win this kid over. But, like, in Neverland, kids don't age. So he was always going to be a kid. So what, you get one kid pirate, and then everyone else is an adult. And then how did the pirates become adults? I was just struggling with that. Yeah, there's all a lot of very magical realism questions. jumps that one has to make with this movie. I also, like, had a struggle because I think that this movie expects that you remember more of the plot of Peter Pan than I actually yeah, did. I Definitely. Think you're right about and they that. didn't Definitely. they didn't feed me any details that were helpful. Yeah, and, <laughs> like, and a lot of it, as I got older, I realized it was coming not from, like, the Disney movie, but from straight up, like, the J.M. Barry books. Mm, like, yeah. And I didn't read those until I was, like, 14 or 15. Or I guess I just read that one. Because, <laughs> like, the what, are, the... what is what was the clock thing? I know that that's a thing, but I can't remember what it is. The alligator that bit his hand off first eight o'clock, I guess. Oh. And so as it got closer to him, he could hear it, it was ticking. ticking. Yeah, I guess I do remember yeah. that. Yeah, but it's also... It's weird, because the crocodile is massive, and it's just supposed to be a normal, regular crocodile that that bites his hand off. And but it, in in the in this movie, it's like twenty feet tall, and it is dead and stuffed. But yet it eats him and then burps. Oh, that's supposed <laughs> to be the real alligator. Yeah, that was the one. It, like he says at one point in the movie, in the beginning, he's like, oh. I, "That's why I stuffed it and I had it on display for everyone to Did see." Not. Did it not was pick up on that. Like dinosaur large yeah well that's why i said it's like a real prototype for jurassic park and and when it spoiler alert when it kills him at the end uh all it just falls on him it doesn't yeah. and it I, falls on him and he's it, like, gone not killing him like he's just in the middle of the mouth and then he's he, and they're like hook's gone and then you just hear burp like is it alive like what's happening <laughs> I was confused by that. Even as a kid, I, I, I wasn't buying it. Yeah. Um, it's a great example of problematic disability representation in film. Because uh, we don't often see disabled characters. And so often when we do, they fall into like one of a very few categories. One of which is that like evil character and that somehow their mm-hmm. like disability like mm. not to use a pun but hooks in with um, <laughs> their evilness um, I don't have much more to say about that I just wanted to point it out the that's pirates are that's true. like a pirate's trope at this point like, yeah, I feel like pirates pirate are the trope. originators of those yeah. bad stereotypes uh, I mean but maybe. is that real like is that just because like pirates tended to lose hands or feet or legs. <laughs> Maybe that's just an, an accurate representation of pirates. 
I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know any pirates either. And I'm not sure. I'm I'm not familiar enough with the trope and like the history of disability representation in fiction to really like say that that's where that comes from. But it certainly shows up a lot. Yeah. Um, in literature and film and other stuff. But uh, Captain Hook's actual hook was largely designed by Steven Spielberg and the production designer Norman Garwood and Amblin's prop master Mark Wade. And it was made by Burbank blacksmith Tony Swatton. And then uh, he was charged with uh, physically crafting several versions. But some of them were actually made of rubber, rubber for the fight scenes. So that no one actually, you know, lost an eye or something. I remember having one of those, a rubber hook. It oh, must really? have been it must have been like when this was out. Was it like ornate? It, Did it have like the the filigree on it like it has in the movie? No, no, it was just like it wasn't fancy at all. It was just like had a black part that like had a oh, handle yeah. on the inside and then it was like it was a like gray a gray hook. hook. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, that's we a classic Halloween that hook right there. Yeah. Um, definitely I, used to play with that. I'm pretty sure I had like the movie licensed hook toy. There were a lot of toys from this movie. Maybe that's also <laughs> why I remember it so fondly. But I remember having like a coloring book, and I had the sword, the Peter Pan sword, and the hook, and maybe some action figures too. Was the hook from this movie like fancier than the black and gray one? Yeah, it was supposed to look like the yeah, one. Yeah, it was all he, like silver and nice. Oh. Yeah. It wasn't oh. like rubber and you can stab your friends with it. <laughs> it was. Only some of them. It was steel and it was sh- really sharp and you could cut people <laughs> oh, with no. it. It was very, very irresponsible. Um, I did like in the, in the film uh, how he. Like, I liked the, the idea that he'll switch his hooks and, like, have different, like, accessories, like a goblet. And, like, <laughs> that felt so funny and, and like, like goofy and, air, uh, like, over the top. Like, he, he kind of is, like, he's, like, a dandy. <laughs> he has, like, all these outfits and different, like, all all of his decor is, like, little hooks and his mustache is a hook. Yeah, it's very off brand, you know. Just yeah, his branding. It's a sh- strong sense of personal branding. Mhm. Mhm. Um little Cage Club podcast network crossover. Uh I was we recently recorded though, it will not be out for quite a while after this for Watch the Throne, um The Life and Death of Peter Sellers, which is a garbage movie is not good at all but same production designer as hook which i found interesting i've never seen that but it sounds like it would be very different from this very different but definitely much worse (laughs) (laughs) whoa had that i mean the production design is fine in both of them but overall the movie was just not good at all no is that a spielberg collaborator design in this was bad I don't agree. I wouldn't say that it was like spectacular, but I think um, they clearly worked very hard on it. I'll put it that <laughs> way. 
everybody who makes a movie works very hard on it. <laughs> That's true. The film originally had a shooting schedule of 76 days and a budget of $48 million, but production took much longer than expected. Oh, can we uh, guess how high sure. the budget went? Sure. What guess? What did you say was the original? Uh, $48 million. Oh, it went I think it went over. to 75 Ooh, good one. What do you think, Rob? I was actually going to say $100 million. <laughs> Okay. That's probably... So, kind of right smack dab in the middle is $80 million. Ooh. Oh, wow. And it took 116 days, which was 40 more days than originally planned. And how much um, did the box office make? I didn't write that part down. Oh. <laughs> Hang on. Uh, but Spielberg mostly blamed himself, and he said... Uh, that he began to work on it at a slower pace than he normally does. Hmm. So, take that for what it's worth. Uh, so budget was what did I say? Eighty million. Um, oh, it made it made money. Yeah, three hundred million. Yeah, worldwide, hundred nineteen in the USA. It's not bad. That was probably and by I think Spielberg's it's, standards not good. Yeah, well, that's certainly true, but also I think it lived well as a uh, VHS release as well. Yeah. In my house, it certainly did. Half of the VHS. Was Carrie Fisher in this? So she and George Lucas actually have a cameo, uh, a very brief cameo. Apparently they're kissing. I didn't see them. No. I just read it in the IMDb trivia. But apparently at some point, they're like a kissing couple that some fairy dust falls on. Oh, man. <laughs> That's weird to me. Do you think, like... I find the idea of kissing George Lucas deeply distressing. Yeah. That's just me. Do you think that was his idea? He was like, maybe I could kiss yeah. Carrie. Oh, for sure. And Spielberg was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, bro. <laughs> As he always says to George Lucas. As always. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. Poor Carrie Fisher. I know. I miss her. I bet you all the lines that are still funny in this movie were written by her. That's what Probably. I like to think. There was like a few times that I laughed. I bet she wrote those parts. <laughs> yeah. There's some good like sarcastic Captain Hook stuff that I feel like is really <laughs> right, in, right in her wheelhouse. How about that cell phone? That he had though. Oh, oh my gosh. That it was, was so a small. Nice cell phone for yeah. 1991. That's how yeah. you know yeah. he was important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like I when they looked it up, it cost twenty five hundred dollars back then. Oh my gosh. Holy cow! They just threw it in the snow. And that part in the beginning where they do like the duel, where they have like the holsters, and they pull out their phones, <gasps> like draw. That. I was always like, whoa. That part one was day, kind of I'll have a cell funny. phone. That part was kind of funny and like he was like fun in his office for a second there. And yeah, then he was a I actually again. would have been far more interested in seeing the movie of like how Peter Pan gets from Peter Pan to Angry Business Dad. <laughs> you know? I was like, well, what happened here? Like I need that's the movie that I want to see. It's like, what what can happen in a Peter Pan's life to make him grow up to be business dad? That would be a really depressing movie. Mm. Um, there's a, a part at the end of the movie where 
they're in the in the fight with Captain Hook and Peter Pan, where he's like, you know, this is all a dream. You're gonna wake up and you're you're just gonna be Peter Banning, you know, middle aged, depressed businessman that doesn't care about his family. He also like, said that he was gonna drink too much, and I was like, whoa, kids movie. That's weird. Yeah, like it got yeah, really he's real also in that threatened moment. Threatened to kill himself and a few other things. Where I was like, this is a kids movie. I mean, he murdered a guy when they were playing baseball. (laughs) He dropped poisonous scorpions into a box (laughs) that a human being was in. Yeah. It's a little weird. It's pretty pretty intense. Okay, so why... I mean, I feel like we went over all the reasons why maybe this movie has, like, a bad reputation, but, like... Rob, you seem to know a lot more about it than I did on the way in. <laughs> like, are there other reason- things that people hate about this movie? Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, like I said, I, I had almost never heard anything specific about why people don't consider this like a worthy Spielberg movie. And I, and I always thought that it was the type of thing where, enough people just said it over time and then it just was considered you know lesser um but i do recognize all the criticisms that we've been talking about as totally legit and i think the the troubling like shooting schedule and all that stuff like everything that went wrong in the filming of it it does make sense now that i think back on it like the movie is like it's it's slightly sloppy, and there's mm, there's a lot a of like ADR in it. Like you could tell, like mm. like uh, even as a kid, I remember being like, I can never tell what they're saying. <laughs> like the lines, <laughs> it's like he tr- he he clearly didn't like work to get the best take every single time. Um, yeah, it it shows that he kind of was like n- his heart wasn't totally in it, and then it just became a a burden for him and he probably just really rushed through it as fast as possible. Um, mm. But uh, I did notice that John Williams score is doing a lot of heavy lifting. <laughs> well, apparently they were originally ad- like developing it as a musical play. Whoa. And that's where like the majority, like John Williams and, whoever he was collaborating with had like written all of this mu- music that's never been heard for legal reasons. Um, oh. But they did use some of those like uh, motifs from that music in the score of this film. Do you think that's why they had the little girl randomly sing a song? Did she sing a song? She sang a song. I don't even remember oh, yeah. if it was like a whole song or not, but she started singing and the little boy was like, Oh, that's the song our mom used to sing to us. Oh yeah, I vaguely that remember is a that. good, a good reference. Yeah, I I I always wondered like, what is that song? Is it a real song? Like, is it written specifically <laughs> for the movie? Is and it, it one didn't of those... really fit into the movie. It was like very out of place. Did did they do one of those things where like they have a pop star singing it in the closing credits? Uh, it I don't know. Like... I turned I it off kind of as soon as so. it was over. <laughs> I did. You're watch. like, get me out of here. I watched half of the credits. Hmm. Here we go. Uh, In 1985, composer John Williams and lyricist Leslie 
QC? I don't know. They worked on Hook uh, being a stage musical, but the pro project was scrapped after about 10 songs were written. Only one song from the play, When You're Alone, made it into the film. Oh. However, many of the play's themes can be heard in Williams' incidental music. Wow. For the film. So yeah, that was probably that song. That's I'm curious how this would have been as a musical, because like when I went back and was watching clips of the stage version of Peter Pan, like that I love those songs. So like for me watching this, like something is missing if it's not a musical. Although <laughs> I get that it's like a different you know, it's a different story. And when yeah. they're, they're they're staging a musical of Peter Pan in the beginning of the movie. Oh man, I have so many questions about that. And those songs are not from the Kathy Rigby one, so maybe that those songs were from the John Williams one. Oh, maybe. There's like one song, and I always remember being like, "What is this musical? This is not the the one that I know." But so, I feel like this is a little bit of a Spice World situation, <laughs> where like, in what way? <laughs> not in every not way. totally, but like, there's. Like, okay, so they live in a world where Peter Pan is real, because we know that, because Peter Pan is a character in this movie, but also they're doing a Peter Pan play? Yeah. So, does everybody know that Peter Pan is real, or do some people think it's just a play? No, I think they think it's, like, mostly... Because I think the explanation is that these were stories that they told growing up and then they were turned into like books and plays yeah right. but like when they're going to visit wendy the kids are like is it is she wendy from peter pan mm-hmm. and they're like yeah kind of like yeah. they basically tell the tell the kids that she is wendy from peter pan yeah cuz well it also has a weird some semi tie in to Finding Neverland, the like the real story of J.M. Barry, because he actually did take the story of Peter Pan from the games that like the kids used to play that mm-hmm. lived next door to him. So I think the movie Hook is trying to say that those kids were basically like Wendy and her siblings and that the stories were what J.M. Barry like turned into the famous Peter Pan stories that everybody knows, but in Hook, it's trying to say like that they actually were going to Neverland, and there actually was a Peter Pan. Mm. <laughs> it's pretty weird. I just thought all of that was really strange. They 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 say it in like a throwaway line, so yeah, it's not it's it it's not explained enough, and it's the kind of thing where I only figured it out like in watching it more recently as an adult yeah i thought i yeah maybe it would take a few more watchings to figure it out <laughs> well get on it <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i'm good yeah. i'm good i rented it it's gonna expire probably already expired it's fine fair enough <laughs> it's okay uh well <laughs> if it had been a musical it would have been a great showcase for phil collins cameo which I was very disappointed wasn't larger. He shows What's up towards the beginning. Thing? He plays the detective that comes to the house. That's right. The detective comes to the house? I don't even remember that. Yeah, after the kids are kidnapped. 
Oh, I guess I, I guess that did happen. Yep. Sure. He has a good line. Like Toodles is like, I've lost my marbles, and he goes, Well, one does. <laughs> <laughs> it's very British. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, apparently, also Steven Spielberg originally slated the film to be a musical as a vehicle for Michael Jackson in like 1983. Oh, that's oh a very different movie. That's a very, very different movie. Uh, but apparently he really wanted to be in a Peter Pan movie. Oh, my God. Which oh, is not shit. I want to see that <laughs> movie. There are so yeah. many versions of this movie that you've said out loud that are better. Yeah. Or at I'm... least more interesting, probably. Um, but then Spielberg got distracted uh, making Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And pre-production didn't start until 1989. Um, that's pretty much everything I have to say about this movie. How about you guys? I'm good. Yeah, me too. I I could do ten more podcasts about it, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will just say that I understand its its uh its flaws and it's just pure nostalgia at this point. That's, that's okay. Yeah, we found that's that, that like with. About. We found that like with most people who pick something really specifically and like I've found it with myself with things that I didn't even know it would happen with. Like we've watched a couple of things that Kara was like, You hated this, right? And I was like, I loved every second of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And my inexplicable love of Space World. Yeah. And like how I really liked growing pains. Oh, I hate oh it man. So much. I could probably do a podcast about Spice World um, and and how it drove me insane because my sister loved it so much. Mm. Sort of like oh, that's second, a different secondhand perspective. Nostalgia. <laughs> I used to hide the videotape from her. <laughs> it was terrible. It's really funny. I had to buy it on DVD because it's not streaming anywhere, so now I own it on DVD. But you good, were glad to own it. Good addition it to the collection. Absolutely. When the revolution comes and all of our streaming platforms uh, dissolve and disappear, I'll be happy that like one of the few DVDs I own, one of the few pieces of physical media that I own is Spice World. Cool. <laughs> oh, one last thing about Hook. Did you see those like sniffing flowers? I loved those. I oh yeah. Remember that. And they sneeze. Yeah. Well, one of them sneezes. There's like oh, I daffodils. That. Yeah. I loved those. And that he... was my favorite part of the set. But anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess that does it for this episode of Wistful Thinking. Rob, if people wanted to find you, can they look anywhere? Um, yeah. I, I have an Instagram account, Rob. Guzio, G-U-I-Z-I-O. Um, I also have like a music one that I sometimes post stuff on. It's Please Stop Singing Rob. Please is PLZ. Um, I have a band called Policemen and Pickups that some people might like. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Cool. Uh, Jordan, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, I uh, Zach Attack episode that I was on where we watched The Greatest Showman came out last week 
uh, it's very long. Don't listen to the whole thing unless you have three hours. Uh, <laughs> wow. But I feel, I did, I did, I liked, I really liked it being on it a lot. I hated the movie, but um, yeah, I spent too. a lot of time while we were recording looking at Zac Efron's abs, and that was good. But I also <laughs> felt like I got a chance to explain circus to one and a half people who never had it explained to them really well before. So I enjoyed that part of it. Uh, so give a listen if you have a lot of time. Uh, and if you want to see my circus tricks, I'm on Instagram at PC. Yeah. Um, I was on the second episode of Third Time's a Charm, which is Mike Manzi's new podcast uh, where he is looking at the third movie in different film franchises and we got to talk about Jaws 3D which I loved (laughs) and have talked about on this podcast several times since I've watched it so uh, if that has piqued your curiosity go check out Third Time's a Charm wherever you got this podcast and also my other podcast In Sickness and In Health um thanks for listening to wistful thinking find us and all of the other cage club shows at cageclub.me and we'll talk to you next time oh, wait can i say one more wait. thing okay when i was on zach attack they read emails which and they get emails from strangers so if you're a stranger or even just a person that i don't know or one of my friends that Kara doesn't know <laughs> <laughs> write us an email it's wistfulpod at gmail right Kara is that our email address mm, that sounds right yeah no I think that's what it is <laughs> um, just let us know you exist because like I, I didn't realize it but when I was on Zack Attack I realized that one of my dreams would be for just a stranger to be like hey I found you I like it thumbs up that would be awesome okay maybe say that at the beginning of the podcast next time <sighs> You think you don't think they listened for an hour and fourteen minutes? Well, just based on my own podcast listening <laughs> habits, once they like start to wrap it up, I usually put on something else. Oh. So, all right, yeah, all right, I'll do try again next time. All right, bye. Uh, <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks for coming. <laughs>